Welcome to the Business of Influence podcast. I'm your host, Karen White. If you're a creator or a community maker looking to expand your influence, increase revenue, profit, and productivity, you're in the right place. Join me every Tuesday to learn strategies to elevate your career as a professional influencer. Thanks for joining me on today's episode. Now let's get started. Influencers and content creators want to know when will they be ready for a talent manager? What does a talent manager actually do? How much do they charge? And will a talent manager actually increase their revenue? In today's episode, we're joined by Kylie Green, the founder and agency director of the Lime Agency. The Lime Agency are a premium boutique agency who offer their talent unrivaled expertise across talent management, influencer marketing and casting. I'm very lucky to have known Kylie for more than 10 years and have worked with her professionally on a number of significant campaigns and occasions over the last 10 years. So it's easy for me to share Kylie's expertise and tell you that Kylie has created and developed hundreds of esteemed brand partnerships and worked with an incredible lineup of talent, including Olympians, television personalities, actors, models, celebrities, and reality stars. And she has created award-winning, memorable campaigns for countless clients. She's helped brands launch and expand and reimagine themselves across marketing, activations, events, media, direct and digital marketing. Her first agency, Kaleidoscope Marketing, was a multi-award winning brand activation agency and at 29 years old, she sold this agency to an ASX listed company. She's held chief executive roles steering both global behemoths and boutique agencies and everything between. So it's no surprise that she's worked continually with an impressive list of clients and brands including Christian Dior, Estee Lauder, Panasonic, Philips, Combank, Nestle, Pepsi, Emirates, T20 World Cup, Arnott's and so many more. And I have to say her celebrity and influencer clientele are just as impressive. With over 50 industry awards, including the pinnacle of a gold Carnes lion, APMA Star Awards Lifetime Achievement, Telstra Businesswoman of the Year, she has excelled. She's also been named B&T Women in Media Mentor of the Year, which is a testimony to the effort Kylie puts into supporting those around her. And she's just won B&T's prestigious Casting Agent of the Year for 2023, announced just last week. So we're lucky today to have Kylie sharing with us the basics of talent management, 
how to pitch to talent managers, niching in your vertical, common misrepresentations talent have when seeking representation, building your brand as an influencer, the money discussion, and so much more. It's a big episode, so if you miss anything, we'll have all the links in the show notes for today's episode. Now let's get started. Kylie, let's start at the beginning. One of the questions that I'm asked a lot about is what does a talent manager do and how important is their role to influencers and content creators? Thanks, Karen. Great question. A talent manager is someone who manages a talent's work and career progression. They help the talent to build their profile and they negotiate and hustle on their behalf with getting work from either brands for them to do whether or not they have a podcast or whether or not they have a television role like reality TV or they're a host or a presenter. It's a partnership between the talent and the talent manager for the best interests of the talent. I think that's a really important point that you make. It's a partnership. It's not a one-way relationship. There's quite a bit of effort that's required from both parties to make it work and often we see that piece missing in those relationships, the expectations can be a little bit different. I'm interested to learn about the process that you have about onboarding talent and and how you might consider what might be a good fit for you in your agency. Every agency is different and every talent manager is different as well. Obviously, with the agency, depending on the size of the agency, there can be a certain culture about that agency. They have certain values and they certainly do have different skill sets. My background is actually advertising and marketing. I've had a long career in that industry. So I bring to the table that experience of having that advertising and marketing background, working with a lot of brands in my career, understanding campaigns, how to execute them and so forth. And that might be experience that the talent doesn't have any experience in whatsoever. They have a certain skill set as well and a certain talent. And it's up to me to identify what that talent is and how I could best build that talent for them. So not everyone is a good fit for every agency, if you know what I mean. There are some agents that do specialise purely in television talent, for instance, and that's all the talent that they want to work with. Whereas I look for talent in very different areas. So we have some talent that are television talent, some that are purely influencer talent, some that are speakers, presenters, hosts. They've got a multitude of different skill sets. And that's particularly what I like to look for is that they're not a one-trick pony, that they do have a number of different skills in a number of different areas. So when I'm looking, I proactively go out there and look for talent sometimes or sometimes the talent does contact us. But before we even look at that talent, we would vet their audience profiles, have a look at what they've been doing in the marketplace, have a look at how they conduct themselves, what is the area that they work in. You're looking for things like popularity, Do they align with our values that we have in the agency as well? Is that working relationship going to be, like you said before, a really trusted, open, honest one? And how hardworking they are as well, because obviously 
some talent out there think the talent manager does all the work for them, and that's not the case. It has to be a two-way street. It has to be that they work just as hard as what we work and that together it works really well. Absolutely. And it's interesting, I think, your background and your experience and success in marketing, which we've spoken about in the intro or your awards and how you bring that lens to the talent manager piece. I think that that is probably not your only unique point of difference, but certainly a strength that you bring to the talent manager piece because you won't often find people in this talent management space that have worked on that brand side so successfully and look at how those partnerships might work from the brand point of view. It's definitely a competitive advantage. And I know when we've spoken in the past, you've spoken about you know, maybe doing a chemistry session with the talent as well and, and just exploring that fit a little bit more. That's right, absolutely. At the chemistry session is either done over Zoom or phone or in person, depending on where the talent is based. And it's just to get a sense of who they are, what they stand for, get a sense of whether or not we can work together. Because obviously, I'm not going to be a good fit for everybody and nor will everyone be a good fit for me. So it's really important for the success of both parties that we do have that session that we do feel very comfortable working with each other. And there has been cases where I have done a chemistry session and decided that that talent is not a great fit for us. And for whatever reasons, it might be just that I feel like wrong time, wrong place. It might be that they've had a big career already and they're trying to reignite their career. And I'm probably more interested in up and coming talent and talent that's sort of more relevant to today. It could be that the values don't align as well, that they have unrealistic expectations of what they feel a talent manager could do for them. Or it could be the opposite as well. Yeah, definitely the partnership piece. It's got to be a good fit for both sides. So we've had a a bit of a chat about what you look for in the talent. When an influencer or talent or content creator is looking for representation, how should they pitch themselves into talent managers? That's another good point and another good question, uh, something that we've spoken about before as well. And I feel that the talent It's about first impressions, last impressions, in my opinion. So if you're pitching yourself to a talent manager, think of it like going for a job interview, that you're trying to attract someone to engage you or employ you. Why wouldn't you do the same thing when you're looking for a talent manager? And first of all, don't expect that the talent manager knows who you are because there's so many different talent out there. I mean, nine times out of ten, we do know who the person actually is. We've watched them on television or we've seen them in the marketplace. But I would say you've got to pitch yourself really quite cleverly and sharply. Like if it's a PowerPoint presentation, if it's a really great email, put a picture with it because that person might not know who you actually are. And talk about the things that you have been doing in the past. You may, may have had previous representation. You might not have had any representation Basically, give them an outline of who you are, what you've been doing, and why you feel the time is now that you need to have a chat or engage a talent manager and what the benefit is and what you're hoping to get out of that. But first impressions count. I mean, I've had everything from a one-line email right through to someone sending me a beautiful PowerPoint presentation on you know who they are, what they've done, and imagery and that sort of thing. And it's just like, wow, a wow factor. And then it's either underwhelming or overwhelming to some degree. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess it depends too 
what platform that they're dominant on too because, you know, I guess if they're on television, they might be able to include a showreel or snippets. If they're a speaker, same deal, showreel, snippets. If they're a content creator on socials, they might be able to link into a viral piece of content or, you know, a reel or a, a post. So just to give a sense of what to expect in that relationship. And I know having previously been a talent manager myself, let's have a little chat about unrealistic expectations of talent. Are you still finding that that's the case that a content creator might have had some sort of coming to you with some unrealistic expectations? Absolutely. I think that First and foremost, when you go onto reality television, it doesn't automatically mean that you're going to be the most popular person and the next big thing. I've seen people come off reality television shows with no change in social media numbers and others that have absolutely gone gangbusters and exploded. But just because your socials have blown up numbers-wise, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are the next big thing. It's how you engage with your audience what sort of content are you putting out there with your audience? What's resonating? How you conduct yourself on your social media in terms with what sort of brands might you be attracting as well? So there are probably more unrealistic expectations on talent because they look at what others have done previous to them or in the past. So just because somebody else has come off that show previously and ended up with a television presenting role or a radio hosting role, it doesn't mean that every single person coming off a reality show is going to get those things. And there's a lot of hard work that does go into that. I think they haven't seen the hard work. They just see the end result and they think it happened for them. Why not happen for me? And it can happen, but realistically, it doesn't happen to every single person coming off a show. It's interesting that because I think we're seeing more and more reality television shows and the cast members move through quite quickly. There's often a high number of cast members or talent on a show and not all of them coming off a network production are going to have that celebrity experience that's sustainable. So perhaps... Do you think that niching down, like building a niche or building their own personal brand before they go into a show or as generally even a content creator, whether they're on television or not, how important do you think a niche is for building a personal brand? I don't think talent going on to a reality show know what to expect unless it's something like Married at First Sight. I mean, a lot of people watch that show. It's a huge juggernaut. They have seen people go on to the show, find love and others that haven't found love but found success. So I think in a show like that, they kind of have an expectation or a realisation of what to expect going into the show and then coming off that show. But for other shows, if it's just your normal everyday people going on to a show, they have no idea what they're going to experience and what's going to happen until they exit and come off the show and then see the reaction to the audience's accordingly but you know not everyone that wins the show becomes successful I mean you look at MasterChef you look at My Kitchen Rules you look at shows like that or even The Voice and things like that it's often some of the others that come second third fourth fifth and sixth and so on that have a little bit of pizzazz and they they pick it up on it and then take it and run with it so you know that from experience as well that you don't have to win a show to be the best content creator or influencer coming off that show so I think the niche part of it is 
I always say to my talents, stay in your lane, what you're good at. Don't try and be something that you're not because an audience very quickly realizes when you're not being authentic and being yourself. And so depending on what you mean by niche, but niche if you're specializing in a certain area. I think I talked about it with you previously that somebody on TikTok might be a laundry expert and talking about laundry and that's a niche. But does that niche turn into big commercialization because there's only so many brands in that niche market? If you've started working with one big brand in that market, the chances are that the competitor is not going to step in and say, oh, now you can work with us because it's a little bit sort of muddying the waters. That person probably did the deal with that first big brand and that went very well. But then to do the competitor brand, probably the competitor isn't wanting to work with that influencer in that niche because their competitor already has. Whereas if your your niche is actually you talking about, for instance, your thing might be motor car racing, for instance, and that's your niche and you live and breathe and do everything to do with motor racing. Well, there are a number of different things you can be working with brand-wise, not only the brands that work in that motorsport, but complementary brands that hire car companies, for instance, or you know energy drinks and things like that. So there are, even though you've got that niche, you can see that there are opportunities to work with a number of different categories associated with that sport. So it depends on what you're talking about, what is your niche. But I think that you've got to find you and just be you, not be anybody else. Don't copy anyone else. Don't try and be anyone else. And that sort of comes back to it, that question you asked about how they find a talent manager. I would suggest that talent, don't look at what a talent manager is doing for one person and expect that they are going to do exactly the same for you. That comes back to realistic expectations. It's uh, very, very sound advice and probably makes us think about some of the common misrepresentations that talent have about what a talent manager is going to do for them. As you say, you've just given the example, you go and look at someone on the talent portfolio that the manager's looking after and you think, oh, I've come off that TV show or I've done this or we're similar. Can you step me through some of what uh, you see from your side? in that space? Yes. It also depends on who you're dealing with in the talent agency. I mean, there are small boutique agencies and there's really big agencies. So you might be dealing with someone very senior. You might be dealing with someone very junior. It depends on who's been allocated to work with you. And look, I haven't worked in other talent manager agencies, but I certainly have talked to a lot of talent and I've met a lot of other talent managers out there and had catch-ups with them and, you know, just talked about the experience and what they've done in certain situations and things like that. And from what I can gather out there, there are some very good talent managers that are very proactive, that are very much work to a strategic plan with the talent and have their best interests at heart. And there are others that just wait for the phone to ring, that just sit there and take emails and take phone calls and wait for a brand to approach the talent. So it really depends on who is the best fit for the talent and for the talent manager and a mutual agreement between them as to what the relationship looks like and what are the expectations and what's the goal and the proactiveness of the talent manager, but also the talent as well because the talent shouldn't just be sitting around waiting for the talent manager to do absolutely everything. They've got a job to do as well is making sure that their content is done regularly, making sure that they're putting great content out there. 
making sure that they are conducting themselves in public at events that they're invited to, making sure that they are probably steering away from being too political, associating themselves with brands that probably the audience might react to, for instance, gambling and things like that. So there is a lot of work to be done on both sides of the party. I think too, again, it's that relationship piece, isn't it? And there's some expectations that you can set depending on where you are in the career. It's like anything, as you say, you might just be setting out in building your career as a influencer and content creator and you're just at that lower tier sufficiently enough to have representation and you're going to probably get so much input depending on what that relationship looks like. But as you build and put in that effort and work harder and harder and you have got a really great talent manager match there, then the that relationship will grow and the value deepens across that relationship as well. So I think it's fair to say, you know, if you're putting in the hard work on both sides, then hopefully you'll see some reward. Or if you're not getting traction in the space that you're hoping for, then, as you said earlier, it might not just be the right time or fit for you. And probably something we haven't spoken about is the exclusive versus non-exclusive piece because With a lot of content creators, I think they spread themselves very thinly, hoping that they'll pop up on all these platforms and then they wonder why they're not having any success across their career. What's your view on that, Kylie? I prefer to sign talent exclusively to our agency. There are one or two that we have on a non-exclusive basis, but generally speaking, most of the talent managers would want you on an exclusive basis. And the reason for that is because... The talent probably don't realise how much work goes in behind the scenes because we only get paid when the talent secure a job. So when the talent secure a job, it means we get paid. So we, we do a lot of unpaid work behind the scenes and that is hustling and, and calling and pitching and talking to people and negotiating, preparing quotes, preparing presentations. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that the talent probably don't realise And for that reason, to be fair, you should look at signing exclusively with a talent manager versus non-exclusively. Because if you're signed with three or four different agencies, why would one work harder than any of the others on your behalf? And, And what if they did work a lot harder, but then the brands were contacting the other talent managers and doing the deals through them? So you can sort of see the benefit of having that exclusive relationship with one manager because that means that you're building that trusting, open, authentic relationship with them. What we do is we share uh, work in progress so our talent can see, you know, any time of the day they can log in and have a look what we're working on for them, see that we are, you know, pitching them, working on brands, quotations, things like that for them. I've always held a quite firm view that that exclusive relationship is the one that's best And perhaps that's why, again, we talk about relationships and you've got that trust, you've got that depth of communication and you are both working towards some really solid goals. When you have that non-exclusive relationship, the talent manager who really carries a huge amount of responsibility and their own reputation in putting talent forward for jobs 
If there isn't an exclusive relationship, it's hard to feel motiva- motivated and driven to really push those talent forward into the deal. So huge fan of exclusive relationships when the talent are at a standard that warrants representation. Exactly. And I think the other point to make there is that, you know, if you're pitching talent to a brand, to an agency, to a show, and they say, oh, someone else has already put that talent forward, it just makes it quite uncomfortable and a little bit unprofessional. And again, my reputation is really important, as is yours, Karen. Like, we don't want to have our reputations damaged because we've built our careers over a very long period of time and I want to make sure that you know I'm delivering the best talent to our clients to our agency clients and to our brand clients and I don't want to be seen as shopping around somebody that 10 other people are shopping around as well. And that works two way for their talent as well when they've got the benefit of all that reputational risk and and reputational equity that you have with brands, brands can come to you and and when you put someone forward, they know you're putting the very best person forward for the job. And I spoke about this in a recent episode, episode seven, I think I'll link that in our show notes about the different ways brands choose influencers to work with. And one of the really good things about having a quality talent manager is that reputation that they bring to the market and brands can confidently work with them and brands will often come to a good talent manager to act as a scout as well so there's lots of benefits in there a lot of the clients come to me not just for the talent on our books quite often they actually say could you please recommend a talent for this particular brief and I can go off book or I can join forces with yourself, for instance, and we can go out to market together. And, you know, there's a number of different ways that you can skin a cat, basically. So it's not just looking at the talent that we represent solely just on our books. We can go off book, we can go internationally, we can go anywhere, but they know our reputation. They want to work with us. They know that we deliver and that's why they come to us. Yeah. Scouting is something that's not often spoken about in the industry, but certainly happens. I want you to tell me, Is a talent manager a PR or publicity person? Absolutely not. And that's another another unrealistic expectation. And one that I've talked to a lot of talent managers about is that they feel that you are managing their PR, their publicity and public relations in relation to getting them invitations to certain events. We don't get paid to do that. You would have to pay a PR person, a retainer, to do your PR and publicity. Not only that, to also help them in a crisis. So, for instance, if a talent finds themselves in some sort of publicity crisis, again, that's the expertise of a publicity PR manager, not a talent manager. So they're very different types of skill sets. I mean, I have done PR and publicity throughout my career, not to the degree that someone who specialises in that area. So I can give some guidance in that area, but I would strongly recommend that they do understand that that's a completely different skill set and not one that a talent manager should be looking after. I agree. Do you think there's a use-by date for influencers and content creators? I do. I think that it depends on who they are. It depends. For instance, if you are what I call a family influencer. So you've got young children that are on social media. I think there's one at the moment that's, you know, doing little 
positive affirmations and the kids are super cute and <laughs> they really are. But I think that those kids are going to grow up and they might not want to be part of that anymore when they become teenagers, for instance. They may want to branch out and go out on their own and so that the family with the cute little kids is changing and whether or not they morph and change into something next great but if they don't they've lost it it was the right time right place right moment and it might change completely once the kids are grown up or it might be that you're a pet influencer and you've got a, a little dog a certain breed they only live to a certain age so you really only have a small window of time that you could benefit of being an influencer with that particular pet now whether that pet passes away and you end up getting the same breed again and trying to reinvent that wheel with your audience and engage them over and over again or whether or not that that channel's ended and you have to move on to something else. So some of them do have a use-by date. It really just depends on the influencer and the area that they're influencing in. Yeah, and I know offline we've spoken a lot about cancel culture as well, which is another risk that influencers and content creators have if they're edging into a space that's outside their niche or authenticity or moving into those difficult conversations that, you know, conversations that they shouldn't be having in a public space. Well, exactly. I think we have seen a number of celebrities or influencers get that cancel culture because they've done one silly thing. They posted a silly meme or a silly picture or they've been intoxicated and they've done a little rant on a video and then suddenly people see it and then they've pulled it down, but it's too late. It's been seen. So, You've got to be really careful, I think, when you are putting a public opinion out there on something or whether or not you're doing a rant or whether or not you want to complain about something. Again, brands can turn around very quickly and pull the plug. And this moves us very nicely into the money discussion. Everyone likes to talk about money or how much money they can potentially earn. So that's a very important point around how content creator or influencers' income can be damaged through having these off-brand conversations and damaging their reputation in the public space. But let's take it back a little bit. How do you go about securing brand partnerships and collaborations? We've spoken about the practical side of, of having conversations with brands, but what happens behind the scenes? Is there sort of paperwork that you prepare in those brand partnerships as part of your role as a talent agency? Yes. Every time we are pitching or presenting a talent to a brand or an agency for a brand campaign, we put paperwork behind it. So we always do a scope of work or do a quotation, which absolutely covers everything in the brief and then some. So we proactively try and secure the biggest, best amount as possible so sometimes the brief might be for, we just want to do X, Y, Z, and we go, great, X, Y, Z will cost this, but have you thought about adding on? So we do add-ons and upsells. We're always trying to upsell, cross-sell, and try and maximize the biggest amount of money that we can secure for the talent as possible, because you can always start very high and always go backwards. You can't start low and start creeping up and adding more and adding more onto it. So we are very proactive in that space and that's how we like to work with our clients. 
And it's something that's often overlooked, I think, by the talent, the level of expertise that goes into preparing a scope of work, like briefing, briefing the job, receiving the brief, understanding all the deliverables, how's that content going to be used for the campaign, post-campaign, what are the obligations of the talent, what are the obligations of the brand. Additionally, talent managers have good experiences to market rates for their talent. So talent that are representing themselves may not, they're often underquote and they don't understand how much potentially a brand is willing to pay for the work that they're going to deliver. So there's a lot of that stuff that goes behind the scenes. And when we started this podcast, we spoke a lot about how important it is to understand all those elements. It's not receiving a brief from a brand and going, oh, yes, it's $1,000 for a post or $500. It's all those extra elements that take hours of consideration and expertise, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that's the thing that the talent don't realise is probably they've done a few deals themselves directly, underquoted themselves and don't really understand licensing and the usage periods and things like that. Quite often when I talk to talent, they go, what does that mean? I don't understand. And, you know, sometimes even in contracts, they'll just sign a contract. They they don't get it checked. They don't even read over it half the time. So you could be signing yourself away to something we see quite a lot in contracts is perpetual. Oh, yes. And that word I strike out every single time. We don't have perpetual in any contracts. No, no perpetual usage. And I know that you do a lot of work in film and television as well. So having the depth of experience to understand all the nuances of contracts because they're quite different, as we know, from casting in a, a film role versus a television role versus a brand campaign. So that's where all your expertise comes into play knowing what you need to negotiate. Yes, absolutely. And each of the channels as well, like when you're dealing with all the reality television contracts as well, they differ from channel to channel. So whichever network, you'll see some things are similar and you'll see other things that are very, very unique and different. And there are things probably sometimes missing out of contracts. So a very good talent manager would read through those contracts and identify that there could be something missing, for instance, that needs to be in there. And sometimes they might say, well, it hasn't been put in there for any of the other talent, but we're not representing all the other talent. We're representing our talent. So we are just looking after our talent. And they might say something like, well, that's stock standard, but it's up to us to negotiate hard and make sure that those inclusions do get included. And I always stress to talent, whether you are dealing with a contract directly yourself or through your talent manager, always, always get it checked by a legal professional. So important, absolutely, because we might know how to read those contracts, but unless you have proper legal training, particularly when it comes to licensing and the like, having a lawyer look over it is really important. I want to talk about money for a little bit longer. We've spoken about all the things that you do, but let's package that up into specifics. You know, you do a lot of unpaid work, but then you mentioned earlier that you take a commission or talent agents take a commission from the work that comes in. Can you explain a little bit about how that works? Yes. So we work for both the talent and we're also working for the brand and the agency. So with our agency, we charge the talent a talent agency commission and that could be a certain percentage of what we've earned for them. So if it's a $10,000 job, we would take an X percentage of that from the talent and they would end up with a net fee. 
And then on the other side of the equation is when we're charging the client or when we're quoting to the client, we will add an agency service fee. That's a certain percentage as well. And that just covers off the amount of time going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between the agency or the brand and the and us. And then also the talent are paying us a commission based on the fact that we've secured that work, but how much work and effort it took to get that particular job. So all that unpaid work that we all do, it covers off by taking a percentage of the commission from the talent fee as well. So there is a fee on both sides. If a talent has a pre-existing brand relationship or is approached directly by a brand, then we say that that's an inward referred and that would be a lesser percentage because we didn't have to do a lot of work to get that, for instance. But we do have to do some work in making sure it comes to fruition, gets it over the line, get everything approved and so forth. So different agencies charge slightly different commissions. But again, we are what we call a boutique agency. We're very high touch, very high service I believe that we have a, a quite a superior level of service and therefore we're not the cheapest, probably more the premium side of things, but our talent know how we work and the type of work that we do for them and they're very, very happy with the work that we do for them as well. Yeah, and I would agree, you know, your reputation, as we said, comes first and you have certainly didn't win all those rewards because you're not delivering on the promises there. And it highlights why that there is a certain threshold that agencies want before they sign on talent because all of that unpaid work, no one wants to work for hours and hours or days or weeks on end for small jobs. I know previously, you know, we've worked on jobs where they can take seven, eight, ten weeks to negotiate and you just don't know until that contract's signed if that job's going to come in. So that's where that trust and value comes in and why talent managers expect that capacity or threshold before they sign on talent. Just on that too, Karen, I think that a lot of the talent out there that are starting out or, you know, just starting to think, well, I've got a little bit of an audience here, they're probably best starting off on the actual marketplace platforms before they start to consider having a talent manager. And the consideration is that if your earning capacity is currently zero, for instance, there's no reason to be signing with a talent manager when you haven't had any earning capacity whatsoever. Probably best to put yourself on those platforms like your tribe, VAMP, those sorts of things, where it's an end-to-end marketplace. So you, you put your profile on there. You, it's a self-managed account. The briefs start coming through. You can apply to be considered for those jobs. And then you can secure those jobs through the platform as well. And, and they're usually smaller campaigns looking for a number of different influencers, not just – some of them might be looking for one influence for one campaign, but some of them usually they're looking for a dozen or so micro-influencers or niche influencers. So it's a good place to start on those platforms when you're starting out just to get a bit of a feel for how things do work. And you can be on multiple platforms. You don't have to be on just one. You can actually put yourself on three or four of them, for instance, so you've got a number of different opportunities to apply for different briefs. Yeah, and that's that's a great recommendation. It gives talent an opportunity to cut their teeth in professionally managed campaigns. And as we spoke about in a recent episode, which we'll link in the show notes, that a lot of these platforms have evolved now where they'll actually have talent managers or talent scouts 
uh, within the platform agency. So brands are going to them and then the platform will go out and scout either from their pool of talent that are registered with them or elsewhere in the market. So it's a really good space, I agree, for people to start. Productivity and time management is a really big thing as well. And often we see influencers or content creators or talent coming through and they're trying to juggle perhaps their full-time job. They're they're sort of just on the cusp of developing this career and and they want to transition into becoming an influencer full-time. How does a talent manager help creators prioritise and manage their time? Good question. (laughs) It's not up to the talent manager, in my opinion, it's not up to the talent manager to babysit or take care of all of the business for for a talent out there. They need to be quite self-disciplined. Look, we've got a number of creators or talent on our book that do have full-time careers. And what we do is we help them and guide them with giving them some structure around how to manage their week on top of their full-time job. So that might be that they have a, a weekly social media plan and it could be seven days where they just sit down and go, okay, I'm going to make sure that I create my own content every second day and post that, whether it be stories on my Instagram or a feed in-feed post or a TikTok video or so forth. So depending on how many platforms they're on and what they're currently using, we always encourage them to make sure that they've consistently got really relatable content that's true to their brand going out on their social media and certainly in between paid campaigns because no audience wants to see an ad after ad after ad after ad. They don't mind being served ads because they follow you and love you and they trust you and your recommendations, but when you are feeding them nothing but ads, the fatigue will set in very, very quickly. So they've got to put the hard work in and they've got to plan their week around the content. So if, for instance, we know that we've got three brand campaigns in for one particular talent all at the same time, we set the expectation with the brand as to when the talent can physically post that. We don't want to bombard their audience. So we will often say, that's great that you've secured them for that campaign, but we would like to put that particular content out there two weeks from now. Does that work within your campaign timeline? And often they'll say yes. And if it doesn't, it might mean that we juggle around something that was scheduled for this week, which could actually move to next week and so forth. So we make sure that there's space around advertising and brand campaigns and making sure that our talent are doing content in between. But also with our talent, deadlines are really important, really mm-hmm. important. <laughs> so if we've got talent that are not responding via email, not responding via our WhatsApp group, not responding on phone, then we have a problem. So we want to make sure that our talent are delivering to the deadlines for content Uh, We want to make sure that they're going above and beyond because happy clients mean repeat business. They'll keep coming back. Whereas if you tick the client off by missing deadlines or not following the brief or delivering substandard content, then that reflects badly on us. It reflects badly on the talent and the likelihood of getting repeat business is minimal. Yes. Again, everything goes back to having that real strong two-way relationship because the logistics of running a campaign on the back end 
there is just so much work that needs to be done. And as you've said, if the talent aren't following through, equally the talent manager, but if the talent aren't taking those requirements seriously, then the brain's aren't just going to want to work with them anymore. And we've spoken about reputational risk for the talent and also for the agent if we're not taking those sorts of things seriously. So there is a lot that goes in on the back back end. I know in your advertising career that you've bought a lot of product to market uh, for brands and you've also worked with talent in this space as well. What's your take on talent transitioning into mainstream media and possibly even launching their own product lines? I'm all for it. But again, it depends on the talent and what the particular product is going to be. Is Is it relevant to the talent? Like, so for instance, you might be a fitness and sport influencer, naturally athletic wear with your brand name on it, is going to be a no-brainer. But again, we've seen talent in the past launch products, launch labels that haven't worked and it's gone pear-shaped for whatever reason. It could be the quality, it could be the delivery, it could be the customer service journey is not there, whatever. But then we've seen some really successful influencers launch incredibly amazing businesses Kylie Jenner, for instance, with the Kylie range of skincare, huge, hugely successful. So, yes, I'm a big fan of talent looking at ways that they can monetize their brand, whether that be launching a product with their name on it that they have created bespokely themselves or licensing their name to a product that gets launched as well. But when it's somebody else managing the behind the scenes and all of the product to market, you want to make sure that it's the right partnership and that you have some degree of visibility across all the different angles. Because if you're licensing your name to a product or a service and that doesn't live up to expectation, a lot of your audience is going to turn to you for answers. And if you don't have the answers, that's going to look really silly. So you need to make sure that you are absolutely 100% across everything and understand the ramifications of when things go wrong and how that reflects on your brand as well. Yeah, there, there needs to be a really clearly thought out strategy there. It's not something you can do on a whim and say, hey, I'm going to do this because once again, if you think working on a brand campaign over an extended period of time is logistically challenging, uh, bringing a product to market is more so and potentially has far greater reputational risks. So I agree with you. There's real solid benefit to it, but there's also some drawbacks for the inexperienced or those that haven't done their research. Kylie, you've given us some absolute gold from a talent manager's perspective. But before we finish off, I want to ask you some questions around building relationships. There'll be people listening to this podcast who are really interested in your thoughts on how they can build relationships within the industry. So what tips and advice can you give influencers and content creators to start relationship building? So my tips for talent in relation to relationship building is a number of different things that they can do. And my favorite thing to do is networking. I love networking. 
it doesn't just mean going to an event and meeting people and having a drink. Networking can happen in all forms of in-person. It can happen over the phone. It can happen on email, LinkedIn. There's a number of different ways that you can network. And I think the key to networking is making sure that the way you are on your social media is the way you are in person. There's no faking it. So don't try and be one person on social media and a different person at an event. People want to meet you and know that, wow, that's the person that I see on social media or that's the person I see on television. So networking, there's lots and lots and lots of events out there that you'll get invited to. And it's not just turning up to every single event. It's being very selective about why are you going to the event? What do you hope to achieve by going to the event? Who are you going to be meeting at the event? And how are you going to conduct yourself at the event? And even though it might be a red carpet for a movie, or it might be the launch of a particular product or service, or it might be that you're going to a VIP night for television executives. You need to make sure that you're professional, that you are conducting yourself professionally, that you introduce yourself, that you listen to people that you are talking to, and that you acknowledge meeting them post that event. So I think if you're meeting a television executive, for instance, and that person says, oh, I've got something I might be interested in talking to you about further, you follow it up the next day and you say, hi, it was really great to meet you last night by email. You know, you can send an email or, or a message via LinkedIn or something and say, I'd really like to pick up that conversation and invite my talent manager to come meet with you and so forth. So you, what you're promising is what you're delivering. So you say that you'll get in touch with them and follow it up, you get in touch and you follow it up. So I think that networking is one of those things that, is really important, especially in the space that we work in, because it's about building those long-term relationships and not pissing people off. I agree. I agree. Something that I've often encouraged talent to maintain in the past is their presence for people to go back and look after those meetings, and that is a website. I didn't frame that particularly well, but what I'm trying to say is that I think there is a huge amount of importance for talent in building their brand in having a website. So once they've made those connections and they've DM'd someone or sent an email, that there is an asset that they have that they control. It's not controlled by social media algorithms, but they control their brand and put their messaging out there. It doesn't need to be have a huge depth of content, but I believe that all talent should maintain some sort of basic website. Do you tend to agree with that view or otherwise? Absolutely. I think a website is definitely of the best interest of the talent and that's somewhere people can go to learn a little bit about your background, what you've been doing. It might be you have your show reel on there. It has your contact details for your talent manager on there. It's sort of like your personal branding website that has everything that they need to know about you. And also, you should be able to control the people coming to that website by capturing an email address and building your own database so that you can put out a newsletter, for instance, a blog, and keep that audience warm and relative. And that database will be worth something one day. So that's a good place to start is to making sure that you do have a really good website. You can easily build one yourself. They're very easy. You can get all the work done for you. You just have to add some pictures and some copy to it. And also I think gone are the days of handing out business cards. I don't have a business card anymore, but I do have a thing called Tapped. 
which is like a digital business card. And I just hold that near someone's phone and my details automatically go into the phone. And it puts a picture of me, my name, the company name, the address, my phone number, my email, everything. I think that's a really handy little piece to have when you're at these events and you're meeting lots of people and you can easily just give them your details very quickly. So you've got to be able to back up that offline, in-person networking with the online persona beyond your social media channels because we want to see when we look at the talent, follow them up afterwards, you know, what is their personal brand? What about influencers and content creators wanting to move around in the industry from agent to agent? Does this happen because there might be a poor choice or, you know, not a good fit or what are some of the reasons that we see and do you think it's a good idea that talent are swapping agencies? That's something I think that you've got to be really conscious of as well. If you're going to be seen as someone that jumps around a lot to different agencies, then the industry is small enough we all talk and we all compare notes and eventually a talent manager probably isn't going to sign you on if that's something that you do and do a lot of. I think that for various reasons, people have changed talent managers. We've seen some in the news, obviously, where there has been a level of trust and there's been unfortunately, some financial shenanigans going on. Uh, Or it could be that you've rushed out and you've signed with someone and you've got different expectations to what that person has for you. Or it could be that you haven't given them the benefit of time. And that's the one key thing is these things take time. You don't become an overnight success by signing with a talent manager. It can sometimes take six months just to get the strides, you know, just to sort of get the momentum going and the rhythm working together. But some have a very short fuse and think it's going to happen straight away. So they they jump around for that reason that they're not getting their expectations met as quickly as what they would like. But that's why it's really important up front is that both parties have a full understanding of what each expectation is and what the deliverables are going to be and what the end goal is. So, you know, for instance, we've got some seasoned talent that have been in the market for a long time. We've got some talent that we believe are up and coming talent. And they, they understand that these things take time, that could take six to 12 months just to sort of really start to get their name on a certain number of radars out there. And it's just that one little lucky break that happens and then they're on their way. It is. And there are all of those usual industry trends that need to be considered and market trends, which a good talent manager will be across. But then there's economic trends that need to be considered as well. And, you know, you can't, switch on TV, whoever watches it or your social media channels and look at not see the cost of living crisis. And we see those economic challenges fold through into brand campaigns as well. So if you're not giving the talent manager that good runway to build the relationships, adjust to any climate conditions, advertising trends, market trends, you're really doing everyone a disservice. And I there definitely needs to be the substance in the relationship and time to prove the relationship. Lots of gold here. Let's finish up with our last question for today. You've given us lots of advice. How would you like to finish up our session today with a piece of advice for influencers and content creators looking to be signed by a talent manager? My piece of advice for talent is to really understand why you believe you need a talent manager. At what point are you at that 
you think that you weren't having one. But I think what I said earlier is that first impressions do count. And I believe that you think about it as a pitch. You're pitching yourself to a talent manager as to why they should take you on board. But you've got to understand that there's a commercial realisation that needs to be there for the talent manager as well. So you need to demonstrate your value in the market. Maybe you've done some campaigns leading up to the point where you think that you would like to engage a talent manager. Put a monetary figure on those. Because if you've only been doing $100, $200, $500 here, it's probably not that attractive for a talent manager. Whereas if you are starting to get bigger briefs coming through for the couple of thousand, 5,000, 10,000, and they're coming through thick and fast and you're finding it very hard to manage those, then absolutely that would be where you'd start the conversation piece with a talent manager. So I think that also understanding you as a brand, a lot of the talent don't realise that they in fact themselves are a brand and you need to understand what is your brand, what is your brand proposition and what is it that your audience is looking to you for? Are they looking to you for advice? Are they looking to you for trends? Are they looking for you to give them tips and tricks and things like that? I think it needs to be that you are potentially looking at getting employed by a talent manager and that you're pitching yourself to that talent manager and all the benefits of why they should employ you. What a fantastic way to finish up our time together today, Kylie. Thank you very much. For those of you that are listening and you want to learn more about the great work the Lime Agency does across brand, film, television, casting, product. We'll provide all the links to their social channels in our show notes, so click through there. Kylie, thank you for your time. We appreciate spending it with you this morning. Thank you, Karen. It's been so lovely to chat with you and your audience as well. You can follow Kylie at the Lime Agency on Instagram at limeagency underscore au. And to learn more about the different ways brands work with influencers, listen to Episode 7, How Do Brands Choose Influencers? Until next week, stay creative.